This is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are victoriously finishing our study of the Gospels today with John chapter 21. And um, and then we'll be done. Where are we going next? Actually, I asked you guys where we were going to go next after this, and I wanted input. And after praying about it, you decided you didn't I no longer you care about your input. God, you know, I, I feel like I feel... I feel like sometimes when I'm really praying for direction, God speaks to me harshly. And uh, yeah, basically he said, you know, shut up and get back to work. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. Judy, do you have that on the recorder? I No, no, no. And uh, we'll be continuing with Acts uh, after we finish uh, John. And then we will go through Romans. And we should finish that sometime mid-spring next year. <laughs> and then we will have this conversation again then, because I don't know where it's going after that. So, uh, but that kind of, Acts and Romans is the foundation of the Christian church within the two. Uh, Acts is the history of it, written by Luke. It's kind of an extension of Luke's gospel. And then uh, Romans is John's I mean, I mean, Paul's letter to the Romans where he basically lays out the foundations of the Christian faith all in one big book. It's like the synoptic book of uh, what we believe and why we believe it. And uh, I think it's, uh, this, it all fits all together. together. There was a reason they put it together that way. Strangely enough, they, go, they fit into each other. And that kind of um, fits this chapter as well. Uh, chapter 21 Gave away all my notes and I don't have one. Oh, thank you. There we go. No, I'm good, good. Okay, I'll just steal my wife's. It's easy. Um, so, chapter 21 is kind of odd because structurally in how it's written. And when you compare John to other writings that are contemporaries, they don't really conclude their books like this. And so, there have been a number of commentators who've really drawn a heavy line under that and made a big deal out of chapter 20, out of the little summarizing paragraph at the end of chapter 20, which looks a whole lot like the conclusion to the gospel and then this tack on on the end. And some commentators have suggested that John 21 was not written by John, that it was written at a later date and added in in the manuscript and uh, yada, yada, yada. There is absolutely no empirical evidence to support that at all. It's kind of like the book of Hebrews. They don't want to believe Paul wrote it, but it's his. It's his. It's, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't think Paul wrote it. Because it's his characteristic all the time. <laughs> I took Greek. Greek, Greek language is completely different. It's easy. I, think it, I don't think it was Paul. Paul showed up. See, I was making a point, and then you made a point that was way over there in left field, and now he's arguing with you on that point that's way over in left field. And they continue it. You see that point? You see what I'm saying? It is really hard to stay on topic around here. I had two years of Greek, too. <laughs> I knew a little Greek. He owns a restaurant. <laughs> 
is all just Greek. I think, I think there's a polis. It's Greek to me. I think there's yeah, a, the controversy, the reason why they say the author's not mentioned. There was a lot of legend that it was Aquila and Priscilla. And Priscilla wrote, and so that men did not want a woman credited with writing one of the uh, books of the Bible, so they took the name out. I see. And once again, there's absolutely no yeah, empirical right. evidence we'll to, to support that wild theory. That's In fact, the the earliest wear the same color shirt. The earliest trans the, the earliest transcripts of Paul, the earliest uh, copies of it, because none of the originals exist, and they were copied as they were passed from church to church. But they have some that date back to the first century, or second century, and. Uh, and, and 21 is included in all of that. There are no copies of John that only stop at, at, at chapter 20. It, it, it goes on. Also, John uh, was writing in Greek, and it's not the language that they spoke. So they spoke in one language, and they're writing in another. And only people that were educated would write. And so he uh, knew what he was doing as far as the writing went. And he tended to be really poetic. And he's got this huge poem that he begins the book with. And throughout John, there are interesting little wordplay sources in Greek, which I don't speak and have not studied for two years, so I really can't go into all the details. But I am told that there are these little subtle uh, uh, poetic nuances to how he puts things, which does not change the meaning of the sit words or, or the sentence, but it just changes the eloquence in which he put it on paper. Um, that plays into this too. And so he ends this, and then he has this bit of falling action. It's a denouement. It's a final quiet story after this resurrection, the crucifixion and resurrection, where it, it, it lays out the foundation of the church where he reestablishes Peter as the head of the group. And it gives you a satisfying, quiet end to this gospel, and it kind of pulls it back on track. And any good storyteller knows the value of that. You know, if you've ever studied, you know, the strip, the, 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 how plot is written in a book. You know, you reach up to a, a climax and then you have this falling level. Well, that, that's exactly what he's done. So he's kind of invented the epilogue, if there's such a thing. The the end credit scenes. That's what that's what or Kenny's taking right now. Unlike Well, yeah. <laughs> unlike a bunch of unlike movies that they end with no no sense. They make no sense because they ended with like abruptly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, there are also, uh, uh, again, I, I can't speak to specifically what there are, but John has a writing pattern. Every writer has a, a signature writing structure. There are words that some writers like. There are ways that you put words together that, that, that fit. Uh, when I was a teacher, I, I taught journalism for several years, and uh, we had just started uh, using computers. And of course, kids being kids, they're writing out copy and printing it out of the printer. They never put their name on anything. And oh, and so I would uh, end up getting a little behind with my grading, and I'd have you know 15 essays with not a name on any of them. 
you know, and I had 15 different kids. How do I attribute who's what? There was no problem at all, not even an inconvenience. I could pick this up and read two sentences, and I knew it was Tom's. I could pick up this one and read two sentences, and I knew it was hers. You know, it would, it would, because everybody had a style, and everybody had, you know, some people uh, use no description, and it's just fact, 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 and some people are, are elaborate, and they're telling a big old cowboy story, and so, you know, everybody has their well, own. from Texas, it's the same language. English will write differently sure. than someone from New York or from California. Well, I would say three people from Texas. Right, differently. Uh, I, there, there, there is. It, it goes further than just culture. There, it, it's a personal difference. Every, it is called a signature. And, you know, even artists. You can look at you know certain styles of art. People who study particular artists can look at a fake of it and tell you immediately it's not because there is a signature to how artists work. And even if you're trying to copy somebody's signature, it's it's very distinctive. Well, it's like. John, did, did John here writing the book of John, and then when he wrote first, second, third John, and then when he wrote Revelations, it's like he's three different people because he has a different tone to each one of the. Well, different tone. There's a different. Okay. I, I've seen an argument between the Revelation, but the, the epistles and the Gospels are written by the same guy. By no, 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 I know they are. I'm just saying he has a different tone yeah. with, with his writings. Well, you can and write happy and sad in each know. scenario. Hey, Clayton gets different tones all week long. And trying to, try to manage those is Okay. So, uh, chapter 21, most scholars do not contest, was written by John. And we have this little scene where Christ and the disciples are sitting beside the Sea of Galilee. Have a talk, this and that's where, it. This is where Peter gets his redemption. Well, yes, because there's only coal fire mentioned twice in, in the Bible. The first one is where Peter was standing around it, and the coal, the cock crew, and then he looked. Jesus was looking at him in the eye, and he realized his failure, and so he went away from that, and back he went back to going to fishing, where he started from, and it's kind of like days you view here. He's kind of like. Uh, He's getting his redemption, but it's kind of the same scene as in the beginning when Jesus picked him. There, there is a lot of symmetry to the story. Symmetry. And I think that's another reason John uses this, because Christ calls the disciples, or, or at least Peter, uh, by performing a miracle with fish and fishing, and he, he, he repeats the exact same miracle here at the end, and that adds a, a final note to his gospel. And I, I, know, I, I believe this happened, but it wasn't reported by any of the other apostles, which I think is interesting. They didn't consider this to be important enough to their story. John's telling a, a story and, and showing how it, it, it's complete. You know, he's completing this uh, training. So uh, there are two parts to this, and uh, the first is the first 14 verses and then the rest of it. So let's look at the first half, more or less. Uh, chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana, the sons of Zebedee, who's James and John, and two other disciples. Uh, there's a Gilligan's Island joke in there, Kenny. Um, and I'm going out to fish. 
uh, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Wow, that happens a lot, doesn't it? Most commentators that I've read, I've never been to the Sea of Galilee, would suggest that they were at least 100 yards out uh, in the boat and they see a man on shore. And I really should British reading this before I start lecturing on it. Um, but uh, early in the morning, and uh, if you can picture yourself standing on a yard line on a football field, which is exactly 100 yards long, and look at a guy standing on the yard line on the other side. <coughs> Can you recognize him? That's why we wear those big colorful numbers so you know who you're looking at on the other side because I can, even if, if they're wearing regular clothes, I can't really tell. They see a man on the shore. And I don't think this is a matter of not recognizing Christ. I think they just don't know who it is. And they're in the business of selling fish. And so a guy hollering from the shore, you got anything? Basically, he's making an offer of purchase. He's seeing if you have anything to sell them. And, and that's common. And so they shout back, no. And then, lo and behold, he says, throw the nets on the other side, which is something they haven't heard for about three years. You know? Drama. Drama. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the note in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord, because they were there the first time. And this is a repeat of the same thing. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off because he's working, and jumped into the water, because you want to put on a robe before you jump in to swim. It says he was naked. They were fishing naked. I mean, that's what, that's what, you know, that's what it says. It says where he was naked. I really don't like your Bible. Mine says, or he was stripped for work. Or whatever the ancient equivalent of that was. Yeah, he had his shirt off. I think that's what, what we're talking about here. I ain't going to fish with nobody naked. I just want you to know. And by the way, as a rule, it is unsafe to fish naked. I'm not going to fish naked. You got, you got hooks and you got snappers. It is not pleasant. I wear long sleeves in the summer in Texas for a reason. to get an NIV. This is King James interpretation. You are 600 years out of translation. Okay. Um, where was I? Snapping fish. Right. He is about to, okay, I, I, if I guess I'm going to explain it as I go. He, he's about, he, he recognizes that this is Christ. This is his rabbi. He is about to stand before the rabbi. He's not going to go do that uh, dressed for work. He puts on you know, his outer grove. Of course, it's going to be hard to swim, but he's not going to come out of the water in front of Christ with his shirt off. He got dressed before he jumped in. 
Pierce's ad thing is he didn't need to jump in because they rode the boat there and the boat got there before he got there. What are you talking about? And he jumped in the, the other disciple followed in the boat, followed, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals that with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. So he was, so he was already there when the boat got there. Uh, it was full of fish, 153. John counted them. And even, okay, it was full of large fish. That was significant too, because at the time there were three different uh, uh, species of fish in the Sea of Galilee. There was a tiny minnow, which is probably the ones that they had that the little boy ate at the five loaves and two fishes. And then there was a kind of tilapia, which is kind of a big fat fish. And then there was one in the middle, which was more the commercial one. So John makes a point of saying, well, these are the tilapia. Not only was it 153, they were the big ones. So there was some poundage in here, you know. So, uh, so full of large fish, 153, and even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay. So, all right. Since I worked my way through that, I also want to read the next section and finish the chapter because you really have to look at the whole chapter as a whole in order to take away the two different takeaways that I could come come up with this. And you can tell me which one is right or whether or not it matters. So, starting in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? In a minute, I'm going to call on all of that Greek in a minute, guys. I just, just want you to know. Okay. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Uh, this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? John says about himself in the third person. Lord, uh, uh, when Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread around uh, the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies these things 
and he wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. So John is again speaking to him in the third person, and John is claiming his reference to himself in the gospel. So he's signing his book. This is the way he signs his book. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. So he's saying that he was selective in the things that he chose. You know why he did the three three times? Ask, you know why he asked? Because Peter denied him three times. Right. Yes, I saw that symmetry as well. And I think that's on purpose too. Yeah. That's true. But he was the son of Jonas, not John. The, the NIV that God wrote says John. Right the son of Jonas. <sighs> John is the form in the New Testament of Jonas. Thank it's you. It's the same name. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just giving him a hard time. You are? I don't think you are. I think, no. No. That wasn't a hard time. That was a shot. Okay. Um, so, let's recap in Kevin E's. You know, it is, it is unique that he is, I guess, the disciple that outlived all the other disciples. Because, I mean, didn't, didn't John outlive all the other disciples? Yes, and then he wrote his gospel, which would mean that he gets his final say and nobody else gets to talk back to him. Yeah, That's I mean, why you wait till you're old to write your memoirs. And then, because uh, we don't know how old he was when he wound up on the Isle of Patmos at Revelation. That was probably, what, his last years? Don't know. Yes. And we don't know that he actually died. I mean, it may be true that he did not ever die because it never says that he what died. What planet were you born on? <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, he's writing revelations, but it doesn't. John himself says here, I, this is a silly rumor. That's basically his, what yeah, he said. We don't know that it's a rumor. Oh, my word. They tried to boil him at all, and he didn't die. Why is it not true? They tried to kill him two or three different ways, and he didn't die. Okay, let's put a pin in that. No, but I <laughs> but it, it didn't say it didn't say Andrew died. Is he alive? So, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we know he's alive at the end to do this, and also we know when he was handed that little book that he was told to eat, that was bitter, that was sweet in his mouth and bitter in his stomach. He was told that he must preach to many nations and people again. Oh, what the early church fathers talk about his death, though. I don't know. He, uh, uh, Polycarp was a student. He talks. He talks about his death. Uh, he succeeded John in, in John's ministry. He was the successor. I probably don't have to go look up Polycarp to figure out if John died. Uh, yeah. Um, let me let me summarize chapter twenty one in the interpretation that is, I think, most commonly taken on chapter twenty one, uh, beginning at chapter twenty. Uh, at the Passover, uh, Christ is crucified and is risen again. Uh, all of the apostles go back to the uh, upper room where they basically had rented, and they stay together because, one, they're afraid because now they're on the most wanted list because their teacher just got crucified, and they're all afraid that they might be next because they've been preaching the same thing he has, and so they are afraid. Also, they don't know what's going to happen. And then Christ appears to them in that upper room, and he gives them hope, and he knows that their ministry is going to go on. And they wait there another week, and Christ appears to them again 
as they're hearing these stories about Christ appearing to individual people as well. They know that he is arisen and they have hope and they're hanging out in this upper room waiting on something to happen and nothing does. And Peter, who denied Christ three times, is broken by his denial. So Peter quits. And he quits dramatically. So much so that half of the apostles quit with him. And they go to the Sea of Galilee, which is a day's walk. And he goes back to his old job and he starts fishing because it's over. He's mad. He's been defeated. He's done. And so Christ appears to him again to shame him into going back to work. So Peter rows the boat in. They have breakfast. And we have this exchange where Christ asks Peter if he loves him. Now, a lot has been made of how John writes this in the Greek. Okay? So there are three different words for love in Greek. At least they don't think of it as words for love. It's what we translate into the English word love, which is so broad it becomes meaningless. And uh, so let's give it to the Greeks for having a few more synonyms here. Uh, but basically it is the difference between the word what we call agape and phileos. But I'm sure I'm butchering the Greek on both of those. Agape, as all of you know, means unconditional love, the love of that has no limits to it. Uh, your, your obnoxious child can be as bad as possible and you still love him because you're going to put his needs above your own and your love for him goes beyond his own behavior and his own merits. Whereas you have phileos love, which is the love among brothers, which is still love. You're still putting your brethren's needs above your own, which is most people's definition of what love is. And except that if my brother behaves abominably to me for an extended period of time, there's a limit of how much I'm going to put up with from Keith and Kyle, who are my brothers. Uh, you know, it's where and, we get the word for lamp. Yes, and so it so it is genuine love, but it's there's it's it's not as intimate, and it's not as unconditional and permanent. Does that make sense? So if somebody says that he he has phileos love for you, that this is a profound thing to say. You know, I don't think I have a brotherly love for that many people. I have a lot of uh, pleasant acquaintances. You know? That's short. That list is very short for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I read somewhere recently that intelligent people have very few friends. And I thought, well, yeah, finally, <laughs> justification for my life. The internet will say anything you want to agree with. Yeah, that's true. Fair enough. That's an uh, okay, so, <laughs> yes, strangely. Um, so, so, so John, in writing this, uses both of these words creatively, and he creates a subtle meaning that other people are arguing isn't there. So, so let, me, let me start with what, what he's going with. 
So uh, putting in the Greek word, Simon, son of John, do you truly agape me more than these? Uh, unconditional love. Do you love me more than, I don't know if we're talking about the fish or the brothers, probably the brethren, you know. Uh, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I phileos you. I love you like a brother. So it's a different term. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He gives him a command. If you love me, I need you to do this. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly agape me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileos you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you phileos me? He just toned it down. And he's using the language that, that, that Peter was using. And, and that's why Peter is hurt. Because he was trying to pull him up to this level of unconditional love. Peter wasn't really to go there. And now he's questioning just his brotherly love for him. And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you phileos me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileos so it never goes back up to the agape level. And then he says, feed my sheep. And then he makes this prophecy about, about Peter being crucified. That's, that's what it says in the Greek. So the implication is that Peter has shamed himself in denying Christ. And Peter can't forgive himself in coming back to Christ. And Christ is asking him to give him unconditional love. But because he shamed himself, he is keeping this restraint on the end of his love for Christ. And he never goes beyond that in this exchange. There's one thing, Peter is very impulsive. It's like, it's like when he got out of the boat and walked on the water when he saw Jesus and then sunk. And this time he, they're going to they're gonna row the boat back to the shore, but he jumps out of the boat girds himself and jumps out of the boat and swims. Peter is always very impulsive. Are, well, are you thinking he's saying this because I don't feel I'm worthy after my denial of you to go to agape instead of phileos? That is my interpretation. Uh, and, and that's gospel of Kevin, and, and he, you can easily argue. Uh, okay, so Peter hears that he's about to be crucified because this picture of crucifixion is not lost on them. They, they know what he means. They just watched Christ be crucified two days ago. So, okay, three depending on how you count it. Uh, and so uh, this is heavy on their minds. And he says, oh, by the way, when you're old, you're going to get crucified too. That's kind of heavy. Do you really want to know how you're going to die? Peter did. You know, this is this is... This is pretty intense. And so, and so Jesus says this to indicate the kind of death that he would have. Follow me. So here we have Peter be kind of being reinstated. He's been forgiven, but also he's come up short again. And he's just heard that he's about to die. And the first thing he says is, but what about him? Pointing at John. Didn't Peter? Maybe so. I don't know. I, you explain it. What is oh, it, jealousy? He's calling himself the one that Jesus loves. Jesus loves. What kind of death is he going to get? No, and John was the only one that was at the crucifixion. True. 
that we know of. Yeah. And he's also the one that was responsible for Jesus' mother, he said. Yeah. yeah. That was his punishment. Good on, folks. Okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I've got to go, did he really love me? <laughs> but I kind of like I'm the way. Sorry, Jesus basically said it's really none of your business how John's going to die. Well, yeah. My interpretation would be, what's it to you? What's it to you? You know, that's, that's well, that is what he says. Uh, what is that to you? And it's almost a little sarcastic. If I want him to live forever, what's it to you? You know, it's none of your business. I really wish that statement would be said more in such Christians in our churches sometime. What business is it of yours about this other person? I don't know. I added that. Okay, thanks. I appreciate that. I say it a lot in my house. Do you? Oh, because everybody comes complaining about everybody no. else. I say, well, what's that to you? All jokes aside, now, is John is the longest living disciple, right? Yes. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I, I thought. And so. Well, he's still alive, isn't he? Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 he threw your own argument right back at you. Did you see what he did? That's called a turn in the back. Right. Yeah, I love that. I don't know him, seriously. <laughs> we, never, we never really, the, the Bible never really talks about his death, how he finally died. You know, but early, years old. Uh, according to church fathers, he died in 100 AD in Ephesus. Okay, so after Jesus says, what's that to you? John signs off, you know, and, 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 he, and he ends the book, and that's the end of the story. Uh, and I think John was probably tired of hearing rumors about how he was going to live forever, and this was, he was basically denying heretical rumors that were floating around when he wrote this book. Okay, that's interpretation number one. Jesus, Peter is kind of broken, and Peter is, uh, has quit and he's taken half the apostles with him. So they spent three years following Jesus around, and they got dejected when you know this, in this one weekend. And uh, admittedly, a lot of stuff happened this weekend. And uh, now they're all done, just like that. And they all go fishing. In fact, people go fishing that aren't fishermen on this list, you know, to the best of our knowledge. So uh, they're still following Peter around. But they're not, they're not doing anything. And so that's the interpretation. Here's the Matthew Henry commentary interpretation, which kind of surprised me. And it questions all of that. Uh, the disciples are up in this upper room, and they've been there for a week waiting on the Holy Spirit to uh, you know, come upon them for this, this, this great uh, revolution to begin. And they've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and Christ has shown up and dropped by and, you know, uh, acknowledged them and then left, and they're still waiting. And, uh, you know, after a week, I'm pretty sure the rent in the room ran out, <laughs> and there wasn't any more uh, cornmeal biscuits in the basket, and uh, they're out of resources. Uh, the, the treasure is dead. And so whoever is taking care of the money is out of cash. So in Matthew Henry's interpretation, while they were waiting, Peter is merely addressing the needs of the group. And they need sustenance. And so he does not leave because he's pouty or angry or quitting. He's 
taking care of business, they need to do some work. You know, everybody can't pray in a room all day. Somebody's got to earn a living. So he takes half the crew, some of which aren't even fishermen, and they go fishing so that they can make some money and they can have some provision and they can go back to the upper room and wait in Christ some more. That's Matthew Henry's interpretation. Paul, uh, uh, Peter, in, well, all of them, in verse 20, before all this happened, when they were still in the upper room, Christ appears and says, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come upon them. Um, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He has just endowed them with power in the upper room, according to Matthew Henry. Wow. And so now they're, 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 you know, they're just getting started. Okay, say, why? go ahead, interrupt me. No, no, no. I guess, why do, if, if Jesus, if John was the disciple that he always bragged about that Jesus loved, why do you think that he chose Peter, the one that always messed up, to be the, the rock, the church. He's the oldest one in the group. Instead of John. Why it do doesn't you? matter. No, I'm just, I'm just asking a question. People have different abilities. I understand That's that. That's a good answer to But I'm just saying, we never see John mess up. So why do you think that he didn't choose John? Would somebody from this side of the room like to speak? We don't get a chance. Say what? Learn from your mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. Yeah. Referring to Peter, I assume? So broken people make better witnesses? There well, are, I think, more, I think there's more, like, aware of, you know, the path that they need to take, I guess? I don't know how to explain it. But we all messed up. Some of us do it more publicly. John messed <laughs> up. He, he went, Christ had to get on him when to call fire down on the, on the city. Hey, dude, you're out of control here. Settle down. So, Jesus called him son of thunder, which was not... A compliment it was an insult. So I mean, I, and I think Peter was the oldest, and I think Peter probably had better leadership skills. Yeah. Uh, it may be a little impulsive. Anyway, it, okay. So Peter, when seeing Christ on the shore in the Matthew Henry interpretation, is thrilled. He's been waiting on Christ. This is what they were waiting on the upper room, and now he sees him. Oh my goodness, it's the Lord. Does he row in suckily? No. He throws on his robe and jumps in the water. Peter's in a hurry. You know, to see Christ. This is not a broken man jumping into the water. The broken man would be sitting in the back of the boat in a sulk. I know this from, from experience. You know? Uh, so, so, so they get there, they eat, and then they have this exchange where Christ asks Peter if he loves him three times, which is the same three times they denied him. However, Matthew Henry points out, they weren't speaking Greek. It's written in Greek. They weren't speaking Greek. They were speaking Aramaic. And Aramaic only has one word for love. So Christ said, do you love me? And he said, yes, I do. And he said, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my lambs. Yes, I do. Do you love me? And, he, and he's hurt because he asked him the same question twice. And then he said, feed my sheep. And then he gets it. And all of the agape phileo stuff is John's poetic wordplay 
in putting this in scripture that's going to be open and meaningful to the Gentile population that he's also trying to reach with his document. Well, can we double down? Huh? Can we double down? Sure. Well, I just wonder, well, then why would John not use the same word then in, in the re-establishment of the reporting it in Greek? Because that's who the audience was going to be. Why would it be confusing like that to use different words for love if there was only one meaning to the word that in the original intent that Jesus only had one meaning for the word love why would John confuse us by making it two different forms of the word that why I don't know but Matthew Henry points out that if you go back through John's writings there are at least three different occasions in which he switches phileos and agape as synonyms and uses them for the opposite meaning you know, looking for them at the context. So John is not being locked in on the subtleties of these two different words because they're very close to each other. Uh, yes, Lee? Was John more educated than Peter? Well, Peter was a, well, they were all, Fisher. They, yeah, yeah, yes, but they were all good little studied Jews and Jews were all, could all read and write. It was, they were surprisingly well-educated for ancient peoples. Uh, but, I don't know. I'd say John was probably more educated. John was well-known in the, the home of the high priest. Mm -hmm. John seems to have connections that Peter doesn't. Peter was a relatively well-to-do for a fisherman out of the boonies, you know? And so I, I think they come from a little bit of different walk of life. I see John as being much younger and more urban. Uh, Rap. And Peter didn't 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 Peter write any books. Peter listened to country and western, and John listened to rap. And Peter didn't write any. Did, did Peter didn't have an epistle, right? That went right yeah. over his. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't rap. Rap music. I said oh. rap. He had first and second Peter. Those are epistles. Oh, I guess so. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I kind of just in practicalness thinking of if it were me. I 
can see how it would, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, 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 but all joking aside, I'm still joking. She was worth it. I, I really, when I met her, I thought this was the girl I was going to marry. The second time you saw me before we ever went out, he said, that's the girl. I told Todd Demons, my best friend from church, I'm going to marry that girl. And I, and I meant it. I wasn't just me. I, don't, I didn't say You're that. You're a decisive Four other girls. No, okay. I mean, I mean, it was, and I wanted her to be the girl so much. I didn't like that six months. I'm not saying it was easy. And I, I mean, I probably, I probably proved my love more because I hated that six months. I wanted to kiss her. My goodness, a couple months ago in a home sermon church, I called her hot. <laughs> you know, I just, but I mean, it was, it was, it was my love, and I said, you know, it's gonna be rough, but I'm, I really think this girl, and I want to be with her. So I would wait six months. Now, the six month anniversary night, she wanted to get down that good night kiss. <laughs> but no, but I know that talk about kissing and comparing, but I mean, your love, the way you conduct your life really shows what level of love you have. That's true. I mean, just that these disciples, and this is the proof that these disciples weren't lying, many of them suffered horrible deaths. If it was a lie, who wants to be tortured to death over a lie? Well, there's cheap love and then there's sacrificial love, and those are two different things. And is that why Peter chose to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus? Assuming that that is true, yes. That's the way it's presented in the basement of the Vatican. Mm -hmm. And there are, there aren't there some historical writings that support that as well? And his 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 wife was 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 crucified before him, and she asked to be crucified first so that he he wouldn't have to see it or something like that. Well, the, well, the other vice versa. Legend, the other legend, and only said this is legends, you know. So it's not you can't. It said that first when they were coming after Peter, that Peter was leaving Rome to get away, and on the way out of Rome, he saw a figure. Legend. This is legend that he saw a figure walking towards him coming to Rome, and as he got couldn't recognize it, as he got closer, he saw his Christ. That Christ was here in the cross. He said, "My Lord, what are you doing?" He says, "We're supposed to be crucifixion. I guess I'm going to have to do it again." Oh. And Peter turns around and goes back and says, "I'll be the one to crucify." That's legend. But they were crucifying hundreds of people when Peter was crucified. Christ was saying, "No, you were called to do this." I, I know, I know. But I mean, it makes for a good sermon, but we can't better story. <coughs> okay. Yeah. Bottom line is that even though there are two broad interpretations of this chapter, Matthew Henry's commentary being the other one, in the end, all we're talking about is the state of withdrawal that Peter is in when Christ draws him back. And in the end, he restores Peter as head of at least the apostles, if not the church in Jerusalem, and and it kind of is a a, a a setup for Acts, and it made me wonder if Acts wasn't written when John wrote this book, because it has been suggested that Peter had already been crucified when John wrote this book, which meant that when he when, when he refers to what Christ told Peter, suddenly that's meaningful to everybody because we know how Peter died. You know, and so that's what puts that in, in. Well, the accepted date for the authorship of Acts is AD 63 to 70. So it would have, would have depended on when this book was written. It was written right before his death. It was supposed to have been written late. Yeah, at least that's what most people say. We don't really know. Because Acts is really a continuation of the book of Luke. Yeah. And so, but I mean, 
which was written before John, so it, it could well have been. Okay, uh, and, and that's it. So we, Peter is established as the head of the group. Peter is forgiven. Peter forgives himself, and we're off to the races in Acts, which well, we will which we will start next week. That's because I was well studied and succinct. Couldn't argue. <laughs> All right, with that, I'm signing off. Back at our tape. Good. <laughs>